So we are looking at Jacob. And if you weren't here last week, then you missed out on uh, Jacob's dream that he had. He's running away from his family um, for fear of his brother Esau killing him. And so he is running away. His mother, Rebecca, said, go, go find my brother, Jacob's uncle, Laban. He's, um, go find him. And when you do, hopefully, you know, um, there will be some peace there. Maybe you'll find someone to marry even. And so that's exactly what Jacob does. And so he is running away. Last week, as we saw, when he had the dream um, of the stairwell, uh, if you will, to heaven or Jacob's ladder, if you will. And this week we begin, he's still a bit on his journey. And so that's where we are with Genesis chapter 29, verses 1 through 30. I invite you to hear these words. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. And as he looked, he saw a well in the field and three flocks of sheep lying there beside it. For out of that well, the flocks were watered. And the stone on the well's mouth was large. And when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place on the mouth of the well. And Jacob said to them, my brothers, where do you come from? They said, we are from Haran. He said to them, do you know Laban, son of Nahor? They said, we do. And he said to them, is it well with him? Yes, they replied. And here is his daughter Rachel coming with the sheep. He said, look, it is still broad daylight. Is it not time for the animals to be gathered together, water the sheep, and go pasture them? But they said, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well then. We water the sheep. While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she kept them. And now when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of his mother's brother Laban, and the sheep of his mother's brother Laban, Jacob went up and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of his mother's brother Laban. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. When Laban heard the news about his sister's son, Jacob, he ran to meet him. He embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Jacob told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. Then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were lovely, and Rachel was graceful and beautiful. Jacob loved Rachel, so he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. And Laban gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her maid. When morning came, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, what is this that you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, this is not done in our country, giving the younger before the firstborn. 
complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. And Laban gave him his daughter Rachel as a wife. And Laban gave his maid Bilhah to his daughter Rachel to be her maid. And so Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah. He served Laban for another seven years. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, and let us pray. God, we gather this morning in prayer. We thank you, Lord, for the safety which you have given those who have come this morning. And we pray, God, that you would be with us as we gather around your word and then as we gather around your children. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. So I have to admit that almost every Sunday I want to stand up here and tell you all that this story, whatever it is, is the one that I remember most vividly from when I was a child. And I find myself wanting to do that this time as well. This is a story that I remember, I think, primarily because it was such a surprise. I didn't understand all of the story, thankfully, but it was a surprise to me, uh, this great surprise of all of a sudden this, this switcheroo, if you will. And, and those oftentimes kind of evoke emotions that you remember. But, but even now, as an adult, as I I look at this story, it's remarkable how multifaceted it is. It has humor, it has irony, it has drama, it has romance. It seems to have everything that would be the makings of a great story. Jacob is continuing on his journey. I think it's hard for us to imagine what that must have been like, right? No maps, no GPS, no rest areas, no Starbucks, no DVDs to watch, nothing. It's just you marching and hoping that at some point you will find somebody, that at some point you are going in the right direction and that that will be confirmed as you keep going step after step after step. You can imagine, of course, the joy and the excitement whenever finally he begins to see somebody. Now, he doesn't yet know exactly uh, who it is that he's seeing, but he knows he at least sees some shepherds, and he, he sees that there's a well, and so you know he has to be excited, right? And so he, he gets there, and things are already going so well that he decides to ask, well, I wonder where you guys are from, and they, they tell him that they are from Haran, which is exactly where he was headed, and so you know that he's getting even more excited. I mean, can you believe it? And so since he's on such a good streak, he decides to ask one more question. Well, do you happen to know Laban, son of Nahor? And they say yes. And you can imagine then just how much more excited he is because finally he has found the people, the land to which he began some time earlier. And so he's excited and, and he's thinking that. In fact, they go on to say, and you know what? Not only do we know Laban, there is her daughter off in the distance coming up in order to water the sheep. Now, Jacob's sitting there and he's looking around and Jacob, he's a little brash, as you know, because it's a little gutsy to say what he says next, because basically Jacob is calling the shepherds who are around there lazy. Because he knows it's the daytime, and as we all know, shepherds should be out in the pasture during the day, right? 
Absolutely, we're all farmers at heart. And so sure enough, he says to them, look, what, what's wrong? How come those aren't there, you know? And they're probably slightly offended, but they say, well, you know, do you see the rock? It's huge. And we wait until everybody gets here, and then we all begin to move the rock, and then we water, and then we all take the big rock and put it back, and then we will take them out to pasture. So Jacob probably kind of says, okay, all right, whatever. And at this point then, Rachel is even closer. And so he begins to see Rachel. And she is... She's beautiful. It's not a trick question. She's beautiful. I love this scene because almost any of us, perhaps especially as men, we know what it was like maybe when we were younger And that damsel would walk in, and we would see her, and what would we try to do? Oh, we would try to impress her. And he looks at that large stone, Jacob does, and he says, that thing ain't nothing but a pebble. Right? And I I love Frederick Beekner. I told you a little bit about this. He kind of, uh, he does this kind of novel based on this. And and so it's kind of from Jacob's uh, point of view. He says, I do not know why I did then what I did. What I did was this. I tore off my shirt Uh, And then I compared with others, he said, my flesh was as white as curds. My chest was bare and bony as a shield where theirs were matted. I ran to the well and kneeled down beside it. Bending forward over it, I circled with my arms the heavy stone that covered it. At first, I thought the heft of it would never budge. I could feel the sinews in my back and shoulders pull tight as tent cords in a storm. Sweat dripped off the end of my nose. I pressed my cheek flat against the stone's warm roughness and clasped it to me. My breath came quick and deep, my stomach working like bellows. I felt the weight move beneath me. Fire shot up my thighs. I gave another heave. I had the stone about a hand's breadth in the air, then set it down again. I heard a sobbing in my chest as though some other life inside my life was sobbing. I slowly lifted till my back came straight. My whole body was shuddering like a man with fever. I didn't dare to let my burden go for fear it would fall and cripple me. I couldn't breathe. My salty sweat had blinded me. I had the eyes screwed tight. My teeth were clenched. With one last heave, I cast it to the side. The well was clear. I remember feeling like this. All of this pressure all of this desire to impress the young lady as she comes up the sinews as tight as like tent strings I mean that's his great depiction right as he cast it aside you know and you know how good he felt as he stood there and you also know what the other shepherds were thinking about him right I remember this. It reminds me of when I was in middle school, and I did everything I could over those three years. I had a lot of work to do to try to impress uh, the young ladies, right? I mean, it wasn't just my natural looks that were going to do it. I, I know, hard to believe, but sure enough, you would work, right? And I remember in eighth grade, this guy, Roger Fine, he moved in from California, and all of a sudden, just like that, Roger was so handsome. He was so athletic. He's so funny. And all of the girls' attention went to him. And all of my hard work for naught. 
And I can remember the shepherds, or I think you'd see the shepherd just being like, who is this guy? Right, and there is Jacob, and he, he tosses it aside, and then he runs up, and he grabs Rachel, right, and he hugs her, and he kisses her, and he is crying, he is weeping, right, which is this kind of this fascinating scene. Maybe you've, you've felt this before. Maybe when you were a kid and you got lost and you tried to keep all calm and then you saw your mom or your dad and all of those emotions that you had been holding at bay, all of a sudden, all of these emotions that Jacob had been holding at bay, wondering would he ever find this family that he was looking for, thinking about everything that he had gone through and fleeing for his life, they all were released as he met Rachel. Rachel, of course, is excited, it seems, perhaps, and she runs back to her father, Laban, and she tells him, guess what, you know, I just found your sister's son, and he's here, and so Laban runs out, and he hugs, and he weeps as well, and he, he brings him into the home, and, and then Jacob regales him with his life's story, to which Laban does says, you are surely of my bone and my flesh. Which, if you know how the story goes, you realize that this is much more true than Jacob even yet understands. He works for him for a month or so. Then finally, Laban says, you know, just because you're my family doesn't mean that you should work for free. So what can I do? And, And this is where the story gets a little uncomfortable, quite frankly. Especially for one who has four daughters, this is not the kind of thing that would bargain that would be uh, working in our family, right? And this is, a, this is, I think it's important to give voice to this. This is kind of the, the patriarchal aspects of this particular story that should make, quite frankly, all of us a bit uncomfortable. Be that as it may, if we want to try to engage the story where it is, we look at the story. And so, Jacob, as he looks around, says, well... How about your daughter, Rachel? Rachel's beautiful, we're told. Now, Leah, the elder daughter, it depends upon the version that you read. The Hebrew is kind of ambiguous. Some of you may have heard this because most oftentimes when we think about Leah, she has, uh, we're told that her eyes are weak, that she is less pretty. Uh, we translated it, the NRSV, is that her eyes were still pretty, were beautiful. However, she still seemed to be a little bit less than Rachel. No matter what, what's most important to realize as a part of this story is that ultimately Jacob really wanted Rachel and he did not want Leah. So Laban says, okay, that sounds all right. And and again, I want to point out that while it is not comfortable for us to think about uh, this arrangement, it is important to realize that if nothing else, the fact that Jacob was willing to work seven years for a wife is a sign that he is not doing this willy-nilly, right? Now, again, if someone came to us and said, I would like Shaughnessy's hand, I'll work seven years, we would say no way, right? I mean, eight years maybe, but no way would we do seven. No, but there is a sign of this is something stable, Right, And in that day and age, it's an impressive thing to say that I'm going to work hard for seven years. And so that's exactly what he does. He works hard for seven years. And then, of course, probably on the very day, now let me point this out as well. Genesis is not overly romantic, but it is fascinating to see how for Jacob, his love of Rachel was so great that those years felt like 
you weren't listening, days. This is Hallmark Channel kind of stuff, right? Like days. And so sure enough, finally, on that day, Jacob says, hey, it's time. Laban probably would have kept going. I mean, it's free labor, but, but Jacob said, no, this is the day. And so they have a great feast. And, and from what we know about these feasts, these feasts are usually quite festive, which might be a part of the reason why he doesn't understand who he's sleeping next to. And so sure enough, the next day he wakes up and he sees that there next to him is Leah, not Rachel. And he is upset. He is angry. He has been tricked. He has been deceived. And so he goes to Laban and he says, why did you deceive me? And Laban here speaks as someone who knows Jacob's story well. Because he says to them, well, basically, I I don't know how you do things where you're from. But in our country, the elder has to go first, not the younger. He's clearly reminding Jacob that even though where Jacob is from, it may have worked differently, that that's not the way it works here. Interestingly enough, we're not told that Jacob gives any kind of response Perhaps he realizes that he has been had. And so Jacob then works another seven years in order to be able to be with Rachel. And we're told, as if it wasn't yet explicit enough in Genesis, that Jacob loved Rachel more than he loved Leah. This is really a fascinating story. One of the things that I really, uh, that the story stands out to me, one of the things that stands out to me about the story is, is the way in which perhaps for the very first time, Jacob realizes and feels the pain of the deceit that he, or the pain in others that have come about as a reason for, I can't talk, that come about because he deceived others. Right? It's always fascinating that usually when we do something to somebody else, we rationalize it in many different ways, and it makes sense to us why it would be okay to do what we have done. However, when it is done back to us, it doesn't ever feel quite the same. Right? We feel like we, uh, that it's wrong, and we feel the pain, and oftentimes we don't realize how we have perhaps done the same thing to others. Uh, so I, I, uh, we have a particular daughter, I won't say who it is, and she's really good at getting on the the nerves of her sisters. I mean, she knows how to push buttons. It is a gift. I mean, she just knows the subtle things that she can do, and when she does it, oh, it fires her sisters up. I mean, they get so upset. The cacophony is voluminous, and I sit there, and I'm like, what are you doing? Stop pushing their buttons. You know what you're doing. Why would anyone annoy somebody just to get a rise out of them? And I remember, that's me. I have always loved annoying people just to get a rise out of them. But when I do it, it's funny. It was always cute. It was enjoyable. But now when I have to have some of the repercussions because of that, all of a sudden I begin to see it in a completely different, through a completely different lens. 
And sometimes it seems to me it's only when you are the recipient of someone's brokenness or someone's actions or someone's deceit. Sometimes it is only then that all of a sudden you begin to see how what you have done to others has caused them pain. In other words, I think that oftentimes when we are the recipient of something like deceit or something like that, it may also be a time for us to ask not just how has this caused me pain, but to ponder whether or not there aren't those times when you have made, have done the same to others. I don't think, though, that this is just a story about Jacob finally getting what he had coming to him. One of the other things it seems to me that we see in this story is how sin and brokenness almost seems to be in our blood and in our genes and that we so easily pass it down to the next generation, right? Who, who are the great deceivers at this point? Let's look at the generation. Rebecca. Rebecca was the one, right? Jacob's mom who was saying, oh, you should, you know, you should do this. You go get that blessing. She was all about deception. Her brother, Laban, also is all about the deception. Oh, wait, we should give you Leah instead of Rachel. Right now, who did they probably learn that from? More than likely, their father or their mother, right? And it's fascinating then, because, of course, what does Jacob begin to do? He, he, he deceives. This is good. And if you keep reading the story, as we will, we will see that Rachel, the daughter of Laban, what does she end up doing to him? She ends up deceiving him. Right? The scriptures talk about how one suffers from the sins of their fathers. And I think, I think that's probably from whence this comes. is the reality that sin or brokenness rarely just affects that person. And that if not dealt with and not confessed and not asked for forgiveness, that those things almost inevitably will continue to be handed down generation after generation after generation. We are always handing things down to our children or to those around us or to our nephews or nieces. There's just this sense that happens with brokenness. But I think that can also happen with things that are healthy. Right? This is what we talked about two weeks ago with the blessing. We talked about how the blessing and passing down words to, 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 to generations lower, younger than us, or older than us, how those can give a sense of hope and future. There's an enormous amount of power in passing things down, our values and our stories. This is one of the reasons why, quite frankly, we do the third grade Bible dedication. We do this because we believe that there is great power in handing something down like the Bible and the stories that are within its pages, right? This is a rite of passage that we have. Now look, if you were to ask me two months ago, hey Jerry, when it comes to this particular, when it comes to the third grade Bible dedication, which of Jacob's stories do you want to tell? It would not have been this story. This would have been the very last story that I would have told. In fact, I wrestled with this quite a bit to say, should we just change this? Because, again, having a third grader, I realized that this is not exactly, you know, even though I learned it as a child, it's a little bit awkward, quite frankly. But because I do have a third grader, I've also been doing a lot of thinking. One of the things that I know 
is that third grade is one of those ages where you are on the precipice. That the next decade is a huge decade in the life of a child, quite frankly, just in our lives all together. In Zionsville, it'll be just another year and a half until my third grader is in middle school. For others, it may be a couple of years. But those middle school years and those high school years are oftentimes incredibly emotional and difficult years. Now, I know, I don't need you to come up and say, well, they're also great years, because I, I know that they are, but here's the thing. I used to be in middle school and high school. I remember what it was like. And while there were certainly some good moments, they were also some of the loneliest and most frightened and most misunderstood ages of my life. This is a time when peers become more and more important, when the parents, at least on the surface, become less important, when pressures for lots of different things begin to mount. And as I began to think about that, I began to think, well, perhaps maybe this isn't exactly the worst of passages because I began to remember somebody. Somebody who, quite frankly, is very easy to forget over, the, over Jacob and the 14 years, over Laban and his deceit, over the beauty of Rachel. It would be easy for us to perhaps overlook Leah. By and large, I don't think I gave her much thought until this past week. Leah is less loved. She's not quite as pretty. She's left out. She's oftentimes left behind. Leah probably wouldn't have been that old, maybe even high school age. And can you imagine the emotions that Leah is feeling? feeling of thinking that you never quite seem to stack up to your sister. That things aren't quite as good or for you as they always seem to be for her. I can imagine that there are many middle schoolers and high schoolers who perhaps have often felt in that exact same way. Wondering why things don't quite make sense. Wondering why it seems that our parents don't quite get us. Wondering why our parents would do something like that. Perhaps even wondering if perhaps they have not at some point been left behind or forgotten by God. Leah, in many ways, is a middle schooler or high schooler. Which is why, as I was reminded this week, it is so important for us to not forget something that we don't always easily see. At the beginning of Matthew and the beginning of Luke, there's a genealogies of, of Jesus. You've probably seen it. It's in Matthew 1 or Luke 3. Here's, the, here's a part of the version in Luke 3. It says this, Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his work. He was the son, as was thought, of Joseph, son of Heli, son of Mathet, son of Le Levi. And then it goes on and on and on and on. And then it says, son of Perez, son of Judah, son of Jacob, son of Isaac, son of Abraham. Now I want to highlight these words. Son of Judah, son of Jacob. Jacob 
is Judah's father. And do you know who Judah's mother is? It's not Rachel. It's Leah. And in the midst of all of this pain that she has gone through, the reality is that the Messiah is born through Leah. Not through Rachel, not through the one who was the most popular, not through the one who always got what she wanted, not through the one that is the prettiest, not through any of that, but through Leah. That Jesus had a purpose and a plan and a mission for Leah, even if, as someone has said, her father had to deceive someone for her to get married. Even if Jacob clearly didn't want to marry her. Even if she always felt like she was a bit left behind. It is this great story, the story of Leah, for any of us, whether we are in third grade, whether we are in middle school or high school, no matter how old we are, that no matter how things may be going, whether or not we have the perfect GPA, whether or not we have the perfect home, whether or not we get chosen for the travel team, whether or not we get into that college, whether or not we're on the first chair or the second chair, whether or not it seems that more often than not we have no one to sit with when we're in the cafeteria, whether or not it is that the person you always seem to like, that he or she always seems to like your friends and not you. No matter what, no matter how lonely you may feel, to know that even Leah, even Leah had this critical part in the mission of God. I want you to know that we give, this is the Bible we'll be giving to Shaughnessy. And the reason that we give this to her is not because it's just tradition, which it is, and it's a beautiful tradition. And it's not because of the fact that it's cute to have them all up here. We give them these Bibles because within these stories, we believe, her mother and I believe with all of our hearts, that she will see herself. And there will be times when she sees herself and it calls her to repentance. Times when she says, oh, I'm supposed to love my neighbor. And you know what? Whenever she was sitting over there by herself in the cafeteria, I didn't go. And I should do that. And then there will be times when she is struggling and life doesn't make sense. And the emotions and the struggles and getting left behind. And maybe she will see Leah. And when she sees that story and other stories, all of a sudden, our hope and prayer is that she will see herself. And when she does so, she will remember that no matter how things may seem right then, that God has a remarkable plan and mission for her. Can you just imagine on that day when Jacob clearly rejected Leah, if you could whisper into her ears, God is going to use you to bless the whole world. So to our third graders, to our 13th graders and our 43rd graders, if you feel as if you have been forgotten, or in those moments when you wonder what to, how to make sense of the world around you. My hope and my prayer is that you will hear the whisper of our Savior saying to you, 
God is going to use you to bless your neighborhood, your community, and the whole world. May all of us hear that whisper. Amen. Amen. Mrs. Crispin, if